Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to see everybody here. If it's your first time with us, welcome to Fountain City Church. Uh, we are a family of missional disciples, and we believe that it's our, our goal, our, the command of God for us to like multiply all over the earth. And so as you come in this morning, uh, we don't believe that we're just trying to get you in this building and like get you to just commit here. We want you to commit to the mission of God and to carrying His DNA, and the movement of the Spirit all through the earth. Um, and that comes by you learning to follow Him with your whole heart. Um, if you're with us today for the first time, if you're a guest, we would love to connect with you. Uh, there's some little connect cards in the backs of some of the seats around you. There's also some on the back table. Um, I'd love for you to just take a moment and fill that out. Um, you're not committing to anything. This is just a way that we can reach out to you, connect with you one-on-one, um, and talk more about why you're here, uh, what the Lord's doing in your life, and how we can come alongside of you. Um, on the back of that card is also a serve team card. Uh, you'll see that. We've always got opportunities for people to step in and be a part of what we're doing. How many of you know churches are run on the basis of like volunteers and a heart for the Lord? Anybody? Uh, and so if it's just the one or two people that are on our staff team, none of this works. Everything we do um, happens because of the people who faithfully serve week in and week out. In fact, I want us to give it up right now for Buster, who's back on the slides in the back. My man, my man Buster. He's faithful and committed. He comes every single week. Uh, in fact, uh, we continue to need help with our production team, if that's something you just love. Like, if you're the person who sees the slide that's slightly off or the lyric that comes up just late, you know who you are. OCD people in the room, you know who you are. You are me, but you're you as well. And so we need your help. Uh, we love having people of excellence, people who really love making things smooth and simple and clean. Praise Him. And so uh, if you want to get involved with that, just check that box on the back of the surf team card. You'll also see there uh, we've got cleaning team, communities team, hospitality, kids team, um, outreach team, prayer team, students team. All of these groups of people change the way our church works. It's the passion of the people that makes a church um, full of life and energy. And so we just want to say thanks to all of you who are serving week in, week out. Uh, hello. Let there be light. Um, we appreciate it. And we're going to give you an opportunity to give right now. There's some giving envelopes on the back table behind you. Uh, you can also give through some options that are popping up on the screen. Uh, text to give. Uh, you can see the number there. And you can always give through cash, check, all those different ways. Um, my deep conviction, as a young man, I was really marked um, by this thing of a lifestyle of generosity. And then you get into 1 Corinthians and you read that one of the gifts of the Spirit is actually generosity. Have you, did you notice that? In fact, for some of us, I feel like the, the enemy actually twists a, a gift for generosity into a lifestyle of greed because it's using finances in a way that is, um, that is dismantled according to what God wants to do. Like he actually wants to teach us how to use finances to multiply the kingdom. Um, and it's miraculous how often money is connected to how the kingdom's at work in my own life. Does that make sense? Like I can tell you moment by moment, many times were seasons where my heart got hard toward the Lord and he asked me to give money to help somebody in need. 
and it loosened something up that was jammed that I didn't know was jammed. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so can I just encourage you that the Lord wants your whole heart um, and when he asks for your heart, sometimes that comes with your obedience to giving to those in need and to mobilizing the kingdom in different ways. So give and give generously. Give generously. I can't tell you guys the testimony time and time again how the Lord has provided for my family in seasons where we didn't have because we had been faithful to give and to trust him um, in, those, in those quiet moments when nobody else was looking. Um, and so maybe one Sunday I'll just share on that. Um, but... If you don't know this, that is one of the, uh, the things that pastors like preaching on the very least, okay? Um, unless they're just all about the money. And that is not where we're at. We want to give and we want to see the kingdom move forward. Amen? Good? Okay. Uh, so offering containers have gone around. Uh, very quick, um, this fall we're kicking back off our communities. Uh, many of you here, you have a heart that is driven to help build community. Some of you are deeply gifted in it. Uh, in fact, last week we had 11 houses full of people all over our community. Over 100 people attending from this room. If you look around, there's not 100 people in here. And so um, that was the weakest clap. Y'all give it up for the leaders of homes who made space last week. It was really, really fantastic. I got pictures of Twinkle's food that she made. And so where's the invitation, Twinkle? That's all I'm saying. Where's the invitation? I'm ready. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, if you have a desire to help build community, like on a weekly basis, you want to help just love on people, pray with people, pour into people, and receive from them, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, we'll be training folks and taking you through it. We want to make it easy but I believe the church is meant to be the most connective place on earth. You know how hard it is for people to come to church? Anybody? You're like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> Some of you had a very hard time. This is a, like a new spot for you. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to make the church of Jesus the shining bride that when you come, you can't help but to delight to be there. And you feel so welcome by the people who look you dead in the eyes and ask you, how are you? How are you actually doing today? And believing that what God has spoken over your life is true and will come to pass, right? And so will you help us build that together? Is that good? Okay. We're going to jump into the scriptures this morning, but before we do, we want to just pray over a couple of people who are um, leaving us. This is a constant cycle, and I hate it. Uh, is Amanda here in the room? Amanda's in kids' church, her last Sunday. Okay, that says all the things. Uh, Roman and Sarah are here as well. Roman and Sarah, will you guys just stand right there where you're at? This is our last Sunday seeing them. Um, they've been slow. It's a slow burn of leaving us um, because they have a flair for the dramatic. Uh, <laughs> they are a deep delight to our hearts. And I just want to ask you, would you stretch out your hands? Guys who are around them, put hands on them. Let's just pray over them and bless them and send them. They have been a blessing to every single one of us in so many ways. And so, Father, we just speak um, our blessing and your best, and your blessing and our best over Roman and Sarah and Jackson and Lizzie. Father, we thank you that your hand is on them and you have anointed them and set them apart to you, to know you and to walk in your ways. Father, I thank you that they don't have to fear slipping off the path of your plan or your will. God, when they trust in you and when they seek to know you, God, they can continue to walk in confidence and faith. And we pray for them today, Lord, that you would continue to surround them with your hands and strengthen them. 
God, that every step they take, Lord, it is saturated in your presence and in your blessing. And Father, we pray, Lord, that in this season, they will see your face. In this season, they will know, God, that you have not left them or forsaken them, but you are with them. Father, we thank you for a season of the miraculous and of power. We thank you, Lord, that you have called them to yourself. And Lord, I thank you that they belong to you. And Lord, as a community, we just speak our yes over them. Lord, we send our hearts with them. God, we send our blessing with them. And we just say, Father, that they are surrounded, Lord, by this community and by your spirit. Father, we pray that you would go with them in strength. God, and as they go, Lord, even as they're releasing this past season and stepping into a new season, Father, we pray that it is the best season that they have had in a long time. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, God. We trust you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. All right. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 19. Um, <clears throat> we are studying the book of James. If you're here this morning um, and you're like, man, why are we teaching through things the way that we are? We really believe that the Word of God is transformative for our lives. Um, Hebrews says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates to dividing my soul and my spirit, my joints and my marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. And so when we work through the Scriptures like we're doing, when we live our life in the Word like we're doing, it is the Word of God that comes from His mouth, penetrating my heart and correcting things that are out of balance or misaligned and bringing healing and life in that place. Are you with me? So we're, we're stepping into this place that is life-giving when we teach through the Scriptures. For some of you this morning, you may not be following Jesus, and you may be thinking, why are we doing that? That is why we're doing that. Because the Word of God brings life. He brings life and transformation to the moment that you're in. He speaks prophetically. How many of you read the same passage from one season to another and gotten something completely different that the Lord has breathed on and He's given you something that is living and active? Think about that. That God can say one thing and then 10 years later, He can say the same thing, but it is living and active. It dials in and hits a completely different place in my life. And this is kind of the history that I've had with Jesus personally. And my prayer is this morning, as we go through the scriptures, that you find the very same thing, that God is dialing into a new conversation with you through his word. And so we are studying through the book of James. Uh, just a quick recap, since we've been away for um, two weeks. Um, James is alleged to be the first letter written to the early church after the ascension of Jesus. Uh, James is also known to be the half-brother of Jesus, and he was one of the early leaders of the church. Um, and the book actually opens with him saying, this is written to the 12 tribes of Israel who are scattered because of persecution. And so he's talking to early Jewish believers who had moved away from the system of sacrifice and law to put their faith in Christ as the fulfillment of every other thing. Um, and so this morning, we're going to step into that. Amanda? Hi. Y'all say hey to Amanda. Amanda's leaving us this week. Amanda, we'd like to pray over you. Can we do that? Would that be okay? If you're around Amanda right now, those of you who know Amanda, would you just put a hand on her shoulder? She and her husband are moving back. She has been a precious addition to us for the last several months, and um, we just didn't want to miss this opportunity. Yeah. She's moving back to Tacoma, Washington. So y'all pray for a good community and good, deep relationships with other Christ followers. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for Amanda. Lord, I thank you. I, I feel like you 
um, you chose that moment where she and I met at the coffee shop. God, she, she just heard the testimony that was going on from here. And Lord, I could hear at the same time the testimony in her heart about what you were doing in her. And Father, I thank you for her genuine faith. I thank you that it's planted, Lord, handed down from her grandparents. Lord, I thank you that she has an inheritance that goes far past her. And Lord, I ask you, God, that uh, as she continues to ask big questions about what it means to be faithful and to follow you, that you would let your blessing rest on her. Father, that she would grow in clarity of your voice, both through your word and by your Holy Spirit confirming your word. And Father, that she would step into a fullness of community of people who love Jesus, love the power of the Spirit, and will fight for her heart every single day. Father, we thank you, God, that as she releases this season, she steps back toward family. But Father, I thank you that she's moving into an anchored place in you. And Lord, we just ask you that you would go before her and protect her, Father, that you would watch over her way, Lord. God, that in moments where she feels like she's alone, Lord, she can look up and know, God, that you are with her. You have never left her or forsaken her, and you've called her by name, that every one of her days are numbered by you, God, and you ordain them. So be with her, Lord. In her traveling back with she and her husband, Lord, I just pray that you would wash over them, and you'd protect them, and you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for letting me pause there. Um, Two weeks ago, we actually were speaking about the nature of God, and one of the things that James is addressing early on to this Jewish crowd Um, is who God is. What is he actually like? Um, And so James is actually talking a lot about who the Father is, that he doesn't tempt us and he himself isn't tempted by evil, that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He never leads you into a situation to strand you or to force you into a place of testing, and that he gives wisdom to all who ask, and he loves to reward those who seek him. Now, this is maybe a fine adjustment for some of us, and it was for the early church, because for them, they had this fear that still sat on them that if we, if we make a single mistake, God is out, right? Like we're living by the law as a Jew, and if I make a single mistake, I'm no longer righteous, and I have to work for my salvation. And so James is addressing something that I think is also deeply related to people in the Bible Belt, That we grow up in a cultural form of Christianity and we believe that we have to work our way to God when God longs to give it freely. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And this morning, God wants to invite you into the stability of who He is, the confidence of the gospel that we have, and simultaneously, I believe He wants to show us something that is altogether bigger than we can imagine. You know, last year I was able to go to Multnomah Falls outside of Portland, close to where Amanda's going back. There's a picture that I have on the screen here for you. Um, have you guys ever seen this? It's unbelievably beautiful. Um, some of you have been here. Um, it's kind of hard to take that in. That's a very squished picture, but it is so massive, and it is so tall and so overwhelming. Um, and what I got out of James 1, 9 through 15 is a little bit of that. You're standing before this thing that is so majestic and big and beautiful and overwhelming to take in. And every single one of us, when we come in front of something that is so full of awe and wonder, we do have two experiences. And the first one is to go, oh my gosh, look at that, right? Like this thing is altogether different and more beautiful than I can even take in. I I had the same experience on the back porch of the Biltmore. Anybody been to the Biltmore? You go to the back porch And the panoramic view is so big that you start to get dizzy. Anybody? Like it's so massive you can't take it in. Same thing. 
Our first experience with standing before something so majestic is, geez, that is beautiful. And the second is, I'm so small. That's so big and beautiful. I'm so tiny, right? And so the the thing that we're walking through here today as we look through verses 19 through 21 is this same experience. We're standing before awe and wonder and majesty, and we're realizing just how tiny we are. But James is inviting us into this thing of being made more like Jesus, being formed into the image of Jesus. And so we're picking up in verse 19 this week, and we're only going to do three verses because I talk a lot. All right, here we go. James 1, 19 through 21. Are you guys with me? Okay. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If I were to ask you guys this morning, what makes a duck a duck, what would you say? Quack, quack, okay. (laughs) Everybody went elementary immediately. Quack, 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 quack. What makes a duck a duck? If you had to identify a duck, what would you, what would you? Feathers, the bill, okay, the beak, right, got it. Is it a bill or a beak, I don't know. The feet, them feet, man, yeah. What else? Anything? What? It's a bird. Okay. So there's, so there's obviously some stuff that identifies a duck. Now, we don't know if the duck maybe identifies as a dog. Like, no. It's, is it a dog? No. It's a duck. Every single one of us. It waddles. If the duck walked through here this morning, you would be able to say, that right there is a duck. And if I said, no, 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 that's not a duck. It's a duck. <clears throat> James writes that there are actually qualities that ought to show up in the life of every follower of Jesus. There are these things that if you said, what is a follower of Jesus like? You should be able to point and go, oh, right there, follower of Jesus. That person looks and smells and acts just like Jesus, follower of Jesus. In the same way that you and I can identify a duck based on its beak and its feet and its quack and its feathers and its DNA and its waddle, thank you, Greg, um, we should also be able to recognize a Christ follower from the way that he or she treats other people. The way that we interact with other people ought to mark us that people should look at you and say something is different. Something's different here. I need to know more. To describe what that looks like, James actually uses this excerpt from this Old Testament passage that is the most quoted passage in the Scriptures by other authors of the Scriptures. Was that confusing? Okay. So there's actually a verse in the, in the Bible that other authors in the Bible quote over and over and over. They go back to it over and over and over, right? Because this thing was written over like 1,600 years by multiple authors on multiple continents, and they all come to one conclusion, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. They all come to that conclusion, and they do it in different ways. But one of the things that we see is all of them like to quote Exodus 34, Okay, and so I'm going to ask you, it'll be on the screen behind me, or you can turn there. If you've never seen this, this is where God actually introduces himself. Uh, In Bible school, this is what they call moving from general revelation that there is some deity, which is how most of our culture or a lot of our culture exists. There is something, right, 
If you get into a very secular society, there's some energy, there's some force, if they're Star Wars fans, behind all these things, but this specific revelation where God himself steps forward and introduces himself. That I'm not this generic other, I'm not a force or an energy, I am the embodiment of all that has created all that you know, I always was, always have been, always will be, and this is what I'm like. And he tells us that in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Listen to what he says. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, with Moses, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord, which is, um, there's a lot to it. I won't go into it. There's an actual name there. God is not his name. It's his title. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is his name, which the Jews wouldn't pronounce because it was so holy. But we've added vowels to it, and we say Yahweh or Jehovah. You with me? Okay, little nerdy download. He proclaimed his name, I am Yahweh, I'm Jehovah. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So God is actually telling people who have known generically about some other thing that's been leading and ruling, now this is who I am. And I want you to see my face, see my holiness, see how clearly you can look at me as I introduce myself to you. And James, here in James chapter 1, he invites us to look up at the character and the kindness of God who is slow to anger, and then to examine ourselves to see if we look like him. It's profound. It's actually pretty gnarly if you're reading it and thinking, this is what God is like, and in the same breath, James says, and you also should be like this. Not only is God slow to anger, but you ought to be slow to anger. Now, this is wild for us. And for many of you, if you are new to the scriptures or new to asking questions about Jesus, God hasn't just called you to save you and then leave you pitiful and crippled and poor. He hasn't saved you and forgiven you on Sunday to lead you out so that you are stranded with the same type of sin life and the same type of struggles over and again for the rest of your life. That is not what the gospel is. He actually has called you to be like him in the earth. Now this is what James, this is the assumption that he has coming into this conversation with you. Is that if God is like this, then you too ought to be like this. If you've received this sacrificial work of Jesus, if he's cleansed you, then you also are becoming more and more like the Father. 1 John 2, 5 Uh, 2, verse 5 through 6 says it like this. I want to prove it to you. It says, By this we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. Now that is wildly different from come get saved and then go back and do the old stuff again. Are you with me? That we would walk like Jesus walked. And you may be thinking this morning, he cannot mean that. Like, Jesus... Raised from the dead, miracles and signs and wonders, walking in the fruit of the Spirit everywhere he goes, he most certainly does mean that. He has called you and I to much more than simply working to avoid sin the rest of our lives. He has called you to be a new creation. 
He is redoing everything that he started in Adam at the beginning. He's entrusting you with power to multiply his kingdom and his influence and his goodness all over the earth. This is what God is up to in your life. It's not a Sunday religion. Are you with me? It's not a Sunday religion. It is Sunday, and we are celebrating, and it is a religion. It, that's not the, the totality of this thing. God wants to invade at the core of who you are and transform you so that you are walking according to his ways. And one day, when you see his face, the promise is you won't ever struggle with a temptation to sin again, and that you will actually receive a body that can stand in his presence forever, the eternal consuming fire. You can stand in his presence, and it won't fall apart. God is making you a people that he can live with forever and to, to re-image him in the earth. Romans 8.29 says it like this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Listen to that. The goal of God in your life is that you would be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus. Not that he just comes and puts his spirit in you, but you just kind of stay the same old sinner saved by grace, always kind of like flunking along and never really moving forward. He, he actually believes, God believes that you can be conformed to Jesus' image. He can look at your life and in five years you can say, I am more like Jesus than I was five years ago. Right? And you don't just get hit with a righteousness stick. He actually invites you into the process to submit to his word and his spirit and to become more like Jesus. Everybody with me? I'm Pentecostal. I grew up thinking like I'm just going to be holy one day. It's just going to happen. Anybody else? Just get what with the holiness stick. It doesn't work. Nobody has ever whooped me into being holy. It's never happened on a Sunday morning dramatically just, I showed up and worshiped really hard one Sunday and I just left holy. It was unbelievable. Never. Anybody? You laugh. But we secretly have believed that in places. God's inviting us into participating in this so that we can become like him. Now, if you hear that, perhaps your mind jumps straight to the power gifts, right? Like, if I'm going to be like Jesus, yes! Walking on water, baby. Not taking any more planes. <laughs> you take one bad flight that's right just up up and away let's do this let's do this that is like my dream i'm pretty sure the lord will let me fly in heaven okay every single one of us we go quickly there but notice that james doesn't say he, he doesn't remark on jesus's power gifts and being transformed into his image he talks about the fruit and the character of his life so as, as we're growing to become more like him, can I just encourage you? You don't have to worry about the gifts. Worry about the fruit. Be planted in him. Let your character and your personality be changed according to how his is. And what does Jesus look like? He is quick to listen. He's slow to speak. And he is slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce what God desires, which is righteousness. You know, there isn't much that tells us more about our love for God than the way we treat people. There's not much. You can tell me you love God all day long. Let me see how you talk to the gas station clerk. Let me see how you talk to your mom when you're sideways with her. Let me see how you talk to somebody who doesn't have anything to offer you. 
Tell me you love God by the way that you treat people that you don't need. Now, it's easy for us to imagine the way that we treat people we really like and we have in, uh, things in common with. But what about that person that gets under your skin at work? Or the, again, those people that you don't need? Or that family member that you're just about to whoop and they don't know it? You know what I mean? Like, talk to me about how you treat them. Notice James doesn't say do these things or don't do these things. He actually says how we should do them. And he uses these qualities of speed. He says be quick to listen. Be quick. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I tend to live in a hurry when my schedule is full and when I have a lot to do. I hurry to the door in the morning. I hurry to respond to texts and emails. I hurry to say hello to people. I hurry to do all sorts of stuff. But if you're like me, that kind of impatience and hurry almost always produces this edginess and anxiety and meanness in the way I live. Anybody, am I talking to any humans in here this morning? Okay, good. Humans are in the house. I didn't realize how bad I was at this until Christy and I had kids, okay? And the Lord saw fit to give me the most beautiful little girl, uh, Lily Collins. And, but here's the thing. Lily moves at the speed of smell, okay? Uh, it is slow, <laughs> What was funny was we, uh, when she was in the womb, we went twice to find out her gender, and she was so relaxed, we had to keep going back. She had one hand behind her head, she was sucking her thumb in the womb, and had her legs crossed. And so we couldn't find out if she was a boy or a girl, because she was so chill. It's like, we're gonna, like, she's telling us who she is already, you know? And I have wounded her through the years multiple times, because our interaction as me being a type A hurrier and her as a type Z chiller, you know, is, uh, is me constantly saying, hurry, 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 hurry. Get it, come on, move, move. Anybody got that disease? Hey, get it going. Get it going. Any Germanic background folks in here? Like, hey, we're going to keep this thing tight, you know? Being quick in the wrong ways produces the opposite of what God wants. And don't get it flipped. God actually wants something in your life. James says he desires something. He desires that his character is being produced in you. He desires that the world can look at Brandon McKenzie's life and say, Jesus. Like, clearly not Brandon. That's Jesus. Right? He wants something in you. And this is the thing. When I'm fast in the wrong ways, it produces something that is sharp and edgy where Jesus wants something that is inviting and accessible so that people can feel the mercy and the goodness of God when they tap into your life. Dang. I just danged myself. But James does say that there are places where hurrying is okay. Interesting. He says we should be quick. We should hurry up to listen. Notice he says be quick to listen, not just to hear, right? Hearing is passive. I hear all of you, but I'm not listening to many of you right now. Hearing is passive. Listening is active and it's engaged. When you listen to someone, it produces intimacy and trust. Have you had a good conversation recently where you were eyeball to eyeball with somebody? Even just a friend, just really talking and engaging with what they're saying. There's stillness and there's enough quiet for you to actually chew on what they're saying to you. And in response, 
They're listening. It's active. It's engaged. Listening is putting your phone away. Listening is turning the television off. It's cutting off every distraction to give your undivided attention to another person. When was the last time you cut off every distraction to give your undivided attention to another person? I was just thinking about all of our young moms in here and how impossible that seems. There is a season coming when you will enter back into sanity, I promise you. It may not be this one. But when we have the capacity to stop and to remove distractions and to give, listen to me, undivided attention to someone, it brings life. Now, can I just be honest with you this morning? I'm preaching to me, and all of you get to just sit in here. <laughs> Every Sunday, somebody's like, how did you know what I was going through? You're preaching just to me. I'm like, no, I'm just preaching to me, and y'all get to just be participants. Um, the, the early images of the apostles during the Byzantine Empire, after the Roman Empire, they envisioned the apostles with little mouths and huge ears. The visual artistic imagery was that these people who were the most holy had to be the ones who were the most prepared to listen and not speak. Because there is something directly attached to the heart of God and my capacity to sit and listen to someone else in their celebration, success, triumph, or defeats. Do we have ears to hear other people? You know, what if we practiced as a community setting aside all distractions when we're with others as a way of worship? Can you imagine like in a culture that is completely consumed with noise and filling it with just another thing? If you were with someone from Fountain City or from Cascade Hills or Evangel Church or Trinity or the Fort, and the, the, the felt experience was, I felt like I was the only person in the room with that person. I didn't feel like anything else was going on. They, they were so engaged with who I am and what I'm doing that I felt the love of God. And what if not only people experience that from you, but you experience that from other people? Some of you have felt the sting of not feeling that, maybe in faith communities or at home or at work. But the opposite is true. Are, are we living the kind of lives where people can come to us and they feel that they get all of us in that moment? Are you with me? Do you feel the weight of how countercultural that is right now? Like, as I'm talking about it, I can tell you, and, and leaders, hear me. If you're a leader of anything, okay, moms, ministries, schools, whatever, teachers, whatever, uh, hospitals, we have got to create environments that if we're going to say that we are led by the Spirit and they're kingdom-centered, that means people-centered. You guys hear that means that we have the capacity to stop and to legitimately see people for who they are and where they are and meet them there. We cannot bring transformation in a hurry. We cannot bring transformation to the world around us and to people's lives by um, multitasking them. And we have to be desperately careful that we don't suck into ourselves what the culture has taught us as a primary mode of operation. It doesn't work. We all know it doesn't work. Scientists know it doesn't work, right? Philosophers know it doesn't work. People in the tech industry know it doesn't work. And yet, we still act like it does. 
And so what if we, as a spiritual discipline, what if we practice setting aside distractions when we're with others as a way to say, I love you. I love you so much that I'm going to be so present with this person right here in front of me. What if we collectively set a goal to eliminate distractions that devalue relationships? Can you hear that language again? What if we intentionally eliminate distractions that devalue relationships? I I got the image while I was thinking through this um, of what it would be like if we went to the Father. If I go to the Father, Josh, and I'm praying to Him about something specific, and He is like, hey, could you just hold on a moment? Like, I got some other things that I need to do. And He's like fiddling with His phone or distracted by other needs over here. What if He just multitasked me every single time I came to Him? If he was constantly busy doing other things and not paying attention, or he was interrupting the talk to attend to something else, how would you feel? Would you feel like the beloved of God? No. That's not how he is. See, and in the same way, I wonder, how do we make God and other people feel when we come to them and we get split attention the whole time? We multitask God and other people. Now, now hear me. This is so countercultural. I do believe that there's a death involved for us. Like, I believe there's some strategic things that have to be done if we're going to be the kind of people who can be quick to listen. Are you with me? And I'm the chiefest of sinners in here. I promise you. I, I was recounting how many times I say to my girls, hold on. Like, that's my nicknames, hold on, (laughs) you know. I don't want that. I want to be so present and attentive with the people who are there that they know, man, I am deeply loved and seen. He says, be, be quick to listen. So, so I know when to hurry up, but James says that there are times when we should slow down as well, right? When should we do that? He says, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Have, have you ever gotten into a habit where you are moving too quick in a season of life? And you realize you say way too much too fast? Or perhaps you start wounding people because you're not thinking about how what you're about to say translates into their ears? Anybody? You ever been there? Or maybe you've been bold enough, some of you in this room, to ask people how you make them feel when you talk to them? You ever done that? You want a spiritual practice for today, like a spiritual application? Go up to someone you spend a decent amount of time with and say, hey, when I talk to you, How do I make you feel? You're like, I want to be more like Jesus, Grant. This is how you do it. Hey, how do I make you feel? I had this uh, interesting moment in high school and college. I started to recognize, the Lord started to show me um, an insecurity in myself. I, I I loved school, I loved learning, but I wasn't very funny. I always felt pretty awkward. And my twin brother was like the funniest human I'd ever met. He's just naturally the goofiest person alive. Um, and I realized that one of the ways I could feel secure was to get super witty and to be sarcastic and cut people down. Anybody else have that disease? It was something I put on. It was like armor that I put on to cover up my insecurity. And I remember distinct moments. There was one in high school. I was standing with my friend Blair in youth group, and she said something that I thought was stupid, and instead of holding that information to myself... I made some comment basically to say, you're stupid. And I watched her body fold up, and I watched tears fill her eyes, and she walked away. And I remember notating that. 
And a couple of years later, I was in college, and I had almost the same interaction with somebody. And the Holy Spirit got on me. And what he said was, we're not going to talk for a month. <laughs> oh, interesting. I don't know if you've ever done that. I might have been roommates with Russell then. I think it might have been before that. I realized that this armor I had put on was wounding other people around me because I was insecure. And the Holy Spirit put me on a, a talking fast for a month. Now, now, this is how it worked. I will only talk if somebody talks directly to me. And when they talk to me, I will speak slowly and pretty quietly. And I won't say more than I have to. Now, let me tell you what happened in a month's time. I came out of that month, and I did not feel witty or smart or sharp anymore. In fact, I felt a little stupid. I couldn't come up with quick responses to things, but I also was a lot kinder. James says, if you're going to be like the Lord, we're not only quick or in a hurry to listen, but we're slow to speak. We really measure our words. I'm not fast to say what's in my head and hope to get it out because this person really needs to hear it. I need to slow down and measure, right? It's like good contractors. Measure twice, cut once, right? It's the same with speaking. We need to measure twice, speak once. We need to be slow in our words. Proverbs 18.21, I'm sorry, Proverbs 10.19, Buster, um, says it like this. This is the new living. It's very blunt. I enjoy it. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> or as I learned it when I was a kid, uh, when words are many, um, sin abounds. When words are many, sin abounds. Shut your mouth. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is shut our mouths. You think you need to be heard right now. You probably don't. <laughs> Be sensible. Shut up. <laughs> Word of the Lord. <laughs> Proverbs 18.21 goes on to say, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, James actually hunkers down on this idea of our words and the way that we speak. Later in the, in the book, he's going to talk about the view of the tongue and how it is set on fire by hell itself. And it's like the rudder on a ship that even though it's small, it steers the whole ship. You know, what I want us to grab onto is this, that we should be slow to speak when responding to people because our tongues can either be healers or destroyers. And some of us are naturally just super encouraging people. Bless you. I love you. My nature is to go sarcastic and cutting. That's my nature. Yes. And I have to put that thing to death. And if I want people to come to my life and say, he's a lot like Jesus. That means I got a lot of killing to do of this flesh. Are you with me? Okay. You're looking at me like I'm wearing nothing, <laughs> which is shocking. Everybody's just very quiet. Sorry. <laughs> That's a better way to say that. <laughs> You're so quiet. That's a normal way to say that. Hey, here's, here's the revelation. If I do the work of being quick to listen, I will accomplish being slow to speak. You feel that? Because sometimes when I'm like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, the only thing that I want to do is say it. It's like the red button in the elevator, you know? Don't say it. Don't you say it. I just want to say it. But if I'm engaged in what somebody is saying and I'm genuinely just listening, 
I have, I have chosen the path to being slow to speak. Okay. He also says, be slow to become angry. I love this. John Mark Comer says that, translated, this is the actual phrase, to be long of nostrils, to be slow to anger. <laughs> now, I think that that's really funny. He's giving the image of someone who, when they breathe in and out, breathes in very deep and long and slow out. To be slow to anger is to have big nostrils, to... <sighs> you ever been around somebody and they make you do that? Roman had that capacity with me. He would be like jabbering and chattering about something and doing like stupid, sarcastic one-liners. And then I would just go, <sighs> and he knew that he had succeeded, okay? Uh, it's the picture of long-suffering. It's the picture of someone who is putting up with you gently. And this is like a common theme through the Scriptures. One of the things that God does in our hearts is that I'm not so fast to correct and fix things. I can actually suffer long. Anybody good with suffering? How are you doing with long suffering? <laughs> like I'm not even good with short suffering. Long suffering. He, he says it's like a slow exhale when you feel frustration. Right? I remember years ago, we were doing a, whim, I mean, a, um, a marriage group in our house, and Casey and Peyton were there, and we were going through 1 Corinthians 13, and Casey, in his beautiful uh, way, just said, I don't know, man, it says love is patient, so I guess I can't be loving if I can't be patient. <laughs> like, I was like, well, that's the class, that's everything we're doing tonight. You can't love people if you're not patient. It's impossible. It's impossible to like be present and to be quick to listen if I'm impatient. And every single one of us have to recognize that. That when you and I are with the Lord, the God of the universe, He is quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry with you. Some of you feel like, man, God is on me. He's angry. He can get angry. He can get angry. Did y'all read that in Exodus 34? It's there. But it says that he's really slow to that. Like God's disposition toward you is patience. He really is so kind and gentle and merciful. He is long-suffering with you. Dallas Willard was once asked, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would that word be? And his response was relaxed. I think Jesus is relaxed. He's not in a hurry. He's not anxious. He's not always pushing. Jesus is relaxed. Are you? I don't think if most people ask, like, what is Grant's personality like, that they would answer, relaxed. <laughs> I don't think that that's the word that they would choose. But I desperately want it to be. Like one day when I'm, when I'm 75 or 80, I want them to say, that is the most relaxed, loving person I've ever been around. You ever thought about that? Like, where are you headed? Who are you becoming? Because if we're looking to Him, then I'm going to mirror how He is toward me, toward other people. And He's been so patient with me, man. He's been so kind and merciful to me. James says, be sure to be toward others like God is toward you. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Now, for you this morning, we don't do this a lot, but what stands out to you? Which one of those three are you like, man, Holy Spirit's telling me, <laughs> that's mine. Is there one? I never do this. 
This is great. Conrad, hit me. Quick to listen. Marty. Slow to anger. Christina. Caleb. Slow to speak. Any other quick to listens? No? Okay. I think all of us can find one of those and resonate pretty deeply with it. Okay. Verse 21. We're coming in for landing. Everybody good? All right. Y'all know that doesn't mean anything, right? We're coming in for landing. It means nothing from any preacher ever, but especially not from me. Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. He says, we've got to be vigilant, eyes wide open to the stuff that is common to the world around us. And he actually uses this word prevalent. You know, when I was young, I remember my mom saying, Grant, don't ever get used to the sin around you. And as a kid, I didn't understand what she meant. And as an adult, I understand exactly what she meant. That it is too easy to get lulled to sleep by what is common to the world around us. And for that to become a part of who I am. And there's not a single one of us in here that that's not true of. Not a single one of us. We just pick and choose which thing to go to sleep on. Are you with me? James calls the worldly stuff we get used to moral filth and evil. Now, if you're new to the scriptures, maybe this is just the pastor's kid in me. Like, we come to this and sometimes the language causes us to tune out. Like, who says moral filth and evil, right? Well, James does, <laughs> and Jesus, and every other author of the Scriptures, but, you know, another time. I think what we tend to do is we feel like this is prudish and somehow disconnected from our day-to-day -day life. Like, we come to the Word, and we hear Mr. Rogers' cliches instead of the sword of the Spirit. But he's speaking something important to us, and, and I'm thinking for all my young folks in here, man. He, he's warning you with something that is bigger, that if you can wrap your hearts and your minds around it will cause you to move toward life and wholeness. He says, you've got, to, you've got to get rid of this moral filth and the evil that's around you. James says we have to understand what is forming us and making us who we're becoming. We have to see it. Is it the culture and what the world says is all right around us? Or is it the living and the enduring word of God? What's forming you? I would ask you adults the same thing. What's forming your life? Is it Fox News or CNN or BBC? Are you with me? Seriously, are you with me? Because it is toxic. It's toxic. And we keep swallowing stuff that we know is poisonous and saying, why is it making me feel this way? Why do those dang liberals or those stinking conservatives or, or, or? And we forget what it is that we're here to do and who we're called to follow. What's forming me? He says it's moral filth and evil. This kind of overarching theme all throughout James chapter 1 is, are you being formed by the character and the nature of God or by the filth of the world around you? And notice he says filth, like that's what my mom would say. That's filthy, right? Like garbage. You're being formed by either his nature or by garbage. Ronald Rollheiser writes this, Western culture today is so powerful and alluring that it often swallows us whole. Its beauty and power and promise generally take away our breath and our perspective. The lure of present salvation, money, sex, creativity, the good life, 
has for the most part entertained, amused, distracted, and numbed us into a state where we no longer have a perspective beyond that of our culture and its short-range soteriology. Listen to that. What's forming you? We're entertained, amused, distracted, and numbed. See, the truth is that we grow desensitized to what quenches the spirit. And here's the terrifying part. It seems normal to us. It seems normal. I don't even blink at it. Why? Because it is so normal. I don't know if you guys have seen, there's this Instagram profile called Only Colga, Columbus GA. You seen that? It's basically the highlight reel of the worst parts of our city over and over and over. Y'all seen it? Everybody? Okay. It's like, it's terrible. And what it is, is the stuff we have grown accustomed to. Just what is the trash in our city or in our lives that is so normal that we don't blink at it anymore? Oh, that's just that demon-possessed guy down the road. Oh, that's just the way this happens. That's just mama's rage problem, or that's just dad's porn addiction, or it's just a little social drinking, just a little weed. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. That's just dad. He's not a racist. He just says off-color things. Hmm. What is that? That's just stuff we've gotten used to that is moral filth and evil. And it's easy to ID stuff out there, but what about stuff in here that we've brought in? You know, when we were in Kosovo, we could tell you very quickly what the demonic strongholds were of the place. We felt them. And for, you, for some of you, that may be new language. We felt like uh, what Paul says are principalities and powers and strongholds of the enemy. They, 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 they affected us in a different way. And when we came home, Christina and Cammie and I were prayer walking downtown, and we were praying, Lord, keep our eyes open to the spiritual strongholds of this place. And I met the most demon-possessed man I have ever met in my life on the rocks on the river. That day, the Lord was like, see, it's not over there, baby. It's here. Now, now hear me. We have got to be wide open to this, that the stuff that we think is common and normal will separate and divide you and quench the Spirit of God in your life if you continue to marry it and make it common in your own life. And the only person who can teach us the difference is Jesus. And he will teach you. Now, Jesus is the only one who could touch an unclean or a demonized or a sick person and it wouldn't affect him. He only gave cleanness away. He never became unclean. He was never defiled. He only gave away righteousness and holiness. This is the effect of walking with Jesus. It's not that he makes us uptight and rigid. It's that he leads me into freedom and life. I can come to him, the author of life, and he actually puts life on me. It's like the picture of him with the disciples where he's washing their feet. And Peter's like, you can't wash me. And he's like, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And he says, well, then do the whole thing, you know, head to toe, baby. And he says, if you belong to me, you're already clean by the word I've spoken. Hear me, you're clean by the word that he's spoken. He's cleaned you. He's cleaning you. He's transforming you. He's making you new. But every single one of us, our feet touch this defiled thing. And when we walk out, we need someone who can speak with purity and wholeness and life and cleanse us without making us hard-hearted. 
It's not religiosity that just tightens and hardens to like demonize the world around us. It's the kind of love, it's the kind of life that keeps me soft to the world around me that is broken and lost without becoming like it. To be in the world but not of it. This is the gift of walking with Jesus. For some of you this morning, when you view the church and the scriptures, you only view the hardened edge of religion. Do more do extra, work harder, make it look a certain way even before it's in your heart. And it has polluted and corrupted this, the version of what Jesus is. And Jesus wants to teach you what life really is. He's inviting you not to follow a church or not just to follow a law or regulation, but to let him come in by his Holy Spirit and change your life. How can I see the moral filth and the evil when I've become so used to it? It only happens when I'm spending time with the Lord and I look with His eyes. Have you had that moment where it's like the Lord will suddenly convict you of something you've been doing and you didn't even know it was an issue? Anybody? Like Ephesians says that what happened to the Gentiles is that they moved toward a, a desensitizing, that they lost the sensitivity in their heart and they moved into a futility of thinking. Why? Why? Because they'd forgotten how to worship the Lord and to mirror Him. The Lord wants to teach us again what holiness looks like, what the fear of the Lord looks like. And it doesn't look like uptight, rigid culture. That's not holiness. It looks like being with the one who is holy and Him washing us and changing our perspective on the world around us. I, I don't know about you, but when I look at Him... I want to be more like Him. And I recognize in myself there is this gap sometimes where I want to do this, but I will easily exchange just working harder instead of sitting at His feet and learning who He is. And the Lord wants to pull us back to knowing who He really is. Um, I have no idea where I'm at. We become whatever we behold. Do you want to see the world clearly? Do you want to make sure that you're not just slipping in to some um, common cultural way of living? Spend time with the Lord. When His heart begins to penetrate your heart, you can't help but to love even the most unlovely people because you see them as He sees them. You see them as he sees them. Jesus went out of his way for people that everybody else flushed. You know, I remember the story of the, um, and I close with this, the demon-possessed man. He's naked. He keeps breaking all the chains. And he's filled with a legion of demons. And the story is terrifying to me. It says that Jesus goes there. He casts the demons out of this man. And the townspeople were perfectly fine with the guy being demon-possessed and naked and chained in the tombs. They were fine with that. But when Jesus cast the demons out, they asked Jesus to leave. Why? Because we get more comfortable with what is commonplace, what is morally filthy, and what is evil. And it's familiar than we do with the power of God that brings healing in life. Perhaps today, there's some stuff that is morally filthy and evil in our own lives 
in the world around us, and the Lord wants to give us clarity to see it for what it is. Why? Because He's redeeming it. But He's called you to be in it, not of it. He's called you to be Christ in the world. Are you with me? Not just sinners saved by grace. Transform people walking in the power of the Spirit, inviting in the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Many of you today, you're going to go to restaurants right after you leave, and you have the holy responsibility to bring transformation in that place. Yeah? So whatever we do, whatever we do, keep your eyes on Jesus and let him change and transform you. Young people, hear me. Hear me. Whatever the culture is telling you is the best and the right way to go is a lie. Learn to hear the voice of God. Lean in to hear his voice above all things. And if you don't know how to hear his voice, come talk to me. Come talk to Christina. Come talk to the people who are here because what we, we have walked the same road. I remember being so frustrated that I couldn't hear God's voice. Man, that killed me. I wanted nothing more. And for some of you this morning, you're like, I just want to know his voice. I promise you, if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. He delights and rewards those who seek him. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Hey, Brandon, will you come and pray over us? Brandon McKenzie? Yes, sir. I love Brandon McKenzie. I just want to hear him pray. And after he finishes, I'll just speak a benediction over us, okay? Yes, Lord, we just love you so much, God. I pray, Father, that this word would pierce our hearts. Father, we just open our hearts wide. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that each person in the room, God, that you would, even right now, highlight people in their lives, God, that they've shied away, God, from sharing your gospel. Um, Father, just speak to us, God. I pray that this word go deep, that we wouldn't just walk away and forget what we just heard, God, but throughout the week, God, just let it go deep in our hearts, Father. Even today, God, would you speak to us, God? I pray for um, the young people in this room, God, that... (laughs) Lord, that I just see the youth group as you're just building it, Lord, and you're just, you're calling these young ones to yourself, God. I pray that each one, God, would, like Grant just said, that they would seek you, God, that they would know the difference between the voice of the world and the voice of you. And so, Father, we just pray, we bless them, we bless um, the rest of this day, the rest of this week, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me just speak a blessing, would you? Just open your hands and receive. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you, his face, and may he give you peace. Pray that everywhere that you walk today, that you feel the power and the presence of God. That you know that you are fully seen and fully loved. That when you come to him, you know that he is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and that he deeply loves you. And may you reflect his image in the world around you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. We love you. If you need anything, holler at us. We'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.